0: G'day, this is Mark Pesci, and welcome to our 14th episode of Series 6 of This Week in Startups Australia. Our theme for Series 6, Taking the Australian Ecosystem from Good to Great, continues with a special look into prop tech. Short for property technologies, PropTech spans everything from smart homes to real estate visualization tools to sophisticated analytics and a whole lot more. All of it geared around servicing the needs of the biggest sector of any economy worth over $200 trillion globally. That's a heck of a market, and PropTech is set to vaporize a lot of it into software and services. So it's time Twista took a deeper look. Safe as houses on this episode of This Week in Startups Australia. This Week in Startups Australia is proudly sponsored by MYOB. Running a startup is pretty cool, but doing the books isn't. MYOB makes it easier. For your free trial, visit myob.com slash twista. This Week in Startups Australia is also sponsored by the University of Technology, Sydney, supporting students to become startup founders. UTS is engaging, inspiring, and connecting students to take the leap as startup founders. Check out what they're up to at startups.uts.edu.au and this week in startups australia is sponsored by campaign monitor when it comes to email marketing there's so much more that goes into creating smart and effective campaigns than what meets the eye to start building smart and beautiful email newsletters today try campaign monitor for free at campaignmonitor.com/twist A few years back, I bought myself a Rico Theta, which is a 360 degree camera. And I started taking lots of pictures with it. And one of the things that I realized is it would be really great to be able to use to say photograph apartments for rental, so that people could actually get a sense of the space rather than the really bad photographs that you tend to go to when you go to a rental website. And I worked on this with some friends of mine who had some folks working in property. And while they said, oh, yeah, that's a lovely idea, but we don't need it because apartments just always rent. And so we don't need anything better than the sort of crappy media that we already have. That was my first foray into the field of prop tech and the idea that maybe there's a little bit more going on here than meets the eye. I was definitely a bit early But it's becoming clear that PropTech's day is coming because one of the biggest names in property in Australia, Stockland, is getting into PropTech in a big way, establishing a PropTech accelerator to foster a new ecosystem of PropTech enterprises. So here to discuss why a $10 billion giant wants to swim with minnows is Robin Elliott, Stockland's chief innovation officer. Robin, welcome to Twista. Thank you, Mark. All right. So for our listeners, just give us a background on Stockland.
1: Mm. So Stockland is one of the traditional big property portfolios in Australia. So we're a diversified real estate company. We cover uh, real estate in terms of a communities business, which is residential and retirement living. So we basically have land. We develop land. We release that land for people to build their homes. And uh, and with the retirement living, we then uh, will provide living units that people can buy and then uh, live out their retirement period or move from there and resell if they wish. And then on the other side of our portfolio, we have commercial property, which is the big retail centres. So we have retail centres around the country which are focused on their local communities and how to best serve them with the, uh, the retail experiences that they need and increasingly diversifying that portfolio into the office workplaces as well. So workplaces and logistics centres, which are you know another form of developing property and then uh, having the rental leasing income coming through. So Stockland has uh, been established in Australia in 1952, Hugely successful company. has been doing very, very well. And uh, we're really looking at uh, what happens in the next 50 years now.
0: Uh, which is music to my ears. As someone who has another podcast about the world, 30 years, a billion seconds from now, that, that is definitely music to my ears to also see a big company thinking strategically. Although, again, I guess property is one of those areas where you are encouraged to think for the long term.
1: Yeah, and that's been really interesting for me coming into the industry is understanding that people are doing 30-year master plans for mm. development. So we have uh, these big master planned communities in development now. Um, there's one on the Sunshine Coast called Aura. There's several in, in in Victoria as well as in the western parts of Sydney. And it's really interesting to see that you know, we're actually planning for how do people want to live in up to 30 years' time, like what sort of buildings, what sort of social and community centres, what sort of experiences should we be thinking about in our designs now that go so far in advance of where people will be, and people will be living there for hundreds of years, potentially.
0: Potentially, absolutely. Okay, so I think you're starting to tip your hand here because I'm hearing two things. First off, you actually did emphasize the word communities a lot in your basic explanation of what Stockland does, but you're also now talking about this emphasis on the future and, and designing for the future. Are those the axes that sort of intersect around what Stockland wants to do in PropTech?
1: Yes, and I think you add to that also the technology angle. So when you look at the property industry and what we do and how we do our businesses, it's still, still uh, very traditional. I mean, we do things the way it's been done for a long period of time, mm. and the potential disruptive influences of technology, of consumer expectations, of just the way the innovation ecosystems work—that's, uh, I think, reasonably new to the property industry—is uh, <laughs> is one way to look at it, and uh, and thinking about you know what is that overall ecosystem that we have and how will they evolve is, uh, is, is quite disruptive just in its – well, it seems normal in other industries. It is quite disruptive in the property sector.
0: So some of this then is not just about getting that ecosystem of startups but actually getting Stockland now accustomed to new modes of creation, collaboration and working in a more rapidly changing environment?
1: Yes, and I think it, it's, it's a challenge when you have a successful company.
0: Oh, innovators' yeah. dilemma. Right? Exactly. Yeah,
1: and uh, you know, there's not a, not a not a burning platform like they would have been in media where I've come from.
2: Where, oh my God, you know, yes.
1: Of, yeah, we've kind of you know, left it very late to tackle some of these issues. We're yeah. in the property industry. Yes. We're not in that desperate situation yet. Right. So it's great. I mean, that means we have a window to experiment and to see what works, what resonates with our consumers and what might fundamentally change business models and ideally be part of that, not have it happen to us.
0: And some of that of course is influenced by different patterns of how people are living, how people want to be living through the different stages of their lives, how life stages works. One of the best presentations I saw was from a fellow futurist this is back in 2012, we were both presenting at the G20 Summit, which was in Turkey that year, 2015 actually and he showed the, the normal life path is this sort of regular sort of, you know, you go to college, you graduate, you get married, you have kids, you work, you retire, and that's it. And he said, now, here's the life path of millennial. And it was snakes and ladders, right? And when you think about that and you think about, well, what does that mean for a mortgage or for an apartment or for a school system? Yeah. This is the world that we're now talking about that property touches every aspect of.
1: It does because property is about how you live. Like We're really talking about quality of life mm-hmm. and Stockland's key purpose is a better way to live, which is a great transformative yeah. mission and purpose that we can innovate around. But we're really talking about how do people live, how do they connect socially – we touch on issues like affordable housing. Mm -hmm. What if your house wasn't this drain on your finances, Mm -hmm. but something that contributed to your income or that became part of uh, your financial well-being over time? And that's a different way of thinking about it rather than, okay, I've got to buy a house and have a mortgage and that's going to be paid off over the next billion (laughs) years. Exactly. Um, Rather than that, we say, okay, what should housing become? And then how does an individual house relate to the rest of the community? Is there a a way to make those communities more sustainable in all senses of the word, that people work that they live there, they work there, they play there, they shop, they have social experiences. What does that start to look like given we have a digital world, we have a connected world, uh, which hasn't really been reflected yet?
0: We're really good at connecting to people on the other side of the world and really bad at connecting to people across the street. I mean, this just strikes me all of the time.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: So are these then are are these some of your goalposts for the prop tech accelerator? What led Stockland to, to that point of going? Actually, an accelerator is the right way to do this.
1: Yeah, and I, I guess um, I'm looking at again what what we actually have as our assets, and what could we do that would create more business opportunities for us. Mm-hmm. And when I look at it, we have big physical spaces, we have big retail centres. Now, Mm. what's going to happen to those big physical retail centres over the course of time? Right. Anyway, I look at it... Amazon
0: will gradually just lease all of them.
1: Well, maybe. uh, (laughs) But, you know, you sort of think they actually play a big role in communities. Yes. And they're actually places people go, not just to shop, but because they want a social interaction or they want an experience, whether it be entertainment or services. I mean, you still can't get a haircut through the internet. You've got to have some physical experiences.
0: No. No. And teenagers still want to go hang out at the mall. You want
1: to hang out somewhere with your friends. What yeah. sort of experiences should we create? Uh, how do we actually attract people into the retail centres so they stay a hub of the community? Yeah. What sort of experiences should we create? What's the best way of doing that? Uh, thinking that you know, space will become free, potentially over time, from the traditional retail, do they become services, experiences, and what, what becomes of that, and how do we continue to attract consumers into those centres, so they stay a social hub. So that's kind of one element. That whole retail challenge, where there is a, there is a disruption happening, and yes. we all know that for the yes. actual retailers who are our tenants, right. and for us to make that uh, make them successful, we think very carefully you know, what are the challenges for a tenant in our retail centre or a tenant in our commercial. Office spaces
0: well, I mean this, the sale of Westfield was sort of that 's a singular moment you, It indicates that there 's a sea change on, around how people who are are in it as serious long term investors to make money are feeling about what they think about that quality of investment, and so that is i guess a, a moment when everyone else in the sector has to look at it and go, okay. Mm-hmm where do we need to position ourselves around this?
1: Yes, and I I think about it from the community angle, and you'll hear us say that a lot because we do believe in building thriving, sustainable communities, and and I think that's important to the quality of life aspect. And, And we really do want to create those experiences for people that help their life, so actually create quality of life enhancements. And that covers a lot of ground, obviously. But we also have a commercial lens on it. So the part of it is we would like to delight our customers. We want to engage them. We want to keep them engaged with our brand and with our assets and with our tenants in our ecosystem. But we're also looking for business opportunities. So looking at, can we engage with smart, innovative, entrepreneurial thinkers who know how to build businesses? That would benefit from access to our assets, whether that's our physical assets, our customers, our data. You know, how would other people look at our business oh. and think this is a growing business, oh. not just a – And the data,
0: which is int- – we hadn't thought about that. But, of course, there's that whole other aspect of property now, particularly commercial property, mm. in that it's a giant sort of data collection field. And you have to be sensitive to how that data is used. But at the same time, that data is – it's, it's both valuable and incredibly useful to improving the quality of the experience that's had there.
1: Yeah, and you look at IoT, the Internet of Things, we're potentially living in a world in 20 years' time or less where there's sensors everywhere.
0: And our last episode, we had Andrew from Morse Micro, and they're doing one of the fundamental enabling technologies, which is a a new version of Wi-Fi, which is designed specifically to enable those sensors to work without having to be plugged in. So they work off batteries for years and years and years.
1: Right, and you think, okay, if we've got sensors for all sorts of things, whether it's temperature or, or sound or air quality, whatever those sensors might be, how do we actually craft that into something that improves quality of life that consumers engage with or that benefits them in some way Mm. that makes our communities a great place to live? Uh, We're very focused on liveability, well-being, sustainability, all those things that make a great community, uh, not just for the time we sell it but ongoing into the future. And I think, I, I know the IoT plans will actually play a big part in that, But then what are those experiences we create? What's the commercial outcomes that might be possible for that?
0: When big companies think about innovation, their first thought is often, okay, let's establish an innovation division in-house and we'll get all these boffins in and they'll build all this great stuff and then we'll be the innovators. And Stockland is saying, actually, maybe it's good if we cast a wider net. How... Was that a natural choice for you, or did you sort of have to walk that decision tree to say, you know, actually, maybe we won't get the results we want if we just try to do it in-house?
1: I guess I come from a view that an ecosystem is essential for innovation. I actually don't think you can actually do it in a silo effectively. I think you can do incremental innovation that way.
0: Sustaining innovation.
1: Yeah, but when you're looking for things that are truly game-changing. Mm. Like, what are the big disruptive, and when I say disruptive, I don't mean putting us out of business, I mean disruptive to the industry or to the business models that we have, mm. or ways to move into adjacencies, or just to look at it in a different way. Mm-hmm. Because uh, you know, in the property industry, we, we're doing well doing what we're doing. Right. So we're really saying what could we do differently Is if we looked at a bigger picture? If we look at the industry at, from a, a higher level of, uh, of view, how would that look? Yeah.
0: Now, One of the things that I've certainly seen in my experience when we've had small companies working with big companies is that often the pieces don't fit together well. Small companies work on a different scale both just in terms of the size of the things they're dealing with, but also in terms of their time scale. Yes. Then bigger companies, it can take just because of process, bureaucracy, whatever you want to call it. There's a lot of people involved in a decision in a big company to get a yes or a no. And quite often a small company isn't really designed to cater to that kind of difference. So how can you use the accelerator as a path in that smooths those differences
1: out? Yeah. And this is one of the big, hard problems that we have in the innovation ecosystem is how do we support these smaller startups and keep their entrepreneurial spirit and their innovation path and their fast
0: without grinding the life out of them. Exactly,
1: <laughs> and, and without uh, you know without all the big company processes killing them off yeah. as you go through or just having the startups bounce straight off the big yeah. company. And so it's what I've been I've been, been a few years thinking about this because Stockland is actually ideally situated to do this because we have so many different sites. So what my plan is, is we have these startups who come through, they need to be nurtured mm. from Stockland's side as mm. well as for you know, from the, the broader ecosystem that generally supports startups, but we'd need to actually actively nurture that process as they engage So the innovation part of Stockland will be those nurturers to work out where the best fits would be. And then we're going to identify, we have identified several innovation precincts. So around the country, when you look across all the Stockland assets, we have some residential communities, some retail centres who will naturally be more open to innovation and we're able to support it. So and we'll, we'll be,
0: be at a small scale because it'll be exactly. one community or one shopping centre or whatever.
1: Exactly. So we're in this exploration phase now and the cycle we have for innovation is we explore, then we experiment and we pilot and we scale. So we have a okay. lot of opportunities to experiment and pilot which, around our network.
0: Which is exactly the model that we use and we're in the Sydney Startup Hub. It's the Microsoft model upstairs. It's the stone and chalk model. I mean, the, so that this is an established and we know that that model works.
1: Yeah. And when you look at the way the stock business is structured, we have all these discrete sites with their own communities. We can pilot lots of different things in parallel potentially around our different assets and work out what works, what doesn't work Test and experiment. We don't expect everything to work day one.
0: Uh, nothing is right? going to work. I should, <laughs> shouldn't not. say nothing. It's all not going to work. Parts of it absolutely will, and it's almost all, always impossible to predict. Yes, and
1: w- you and I understand that. The people listening to this will understand mm. that. It's not big company thinking necessarily. No. But increasingly, I think the big corporates are starting to understand that testing and it not working day one is actually okay, as long as you're learning and moving it forward, that you have a path to keep going or to stop if it really doesn't make sense.
0: Okay yep last question so it's sort of five years from now you presumably have more than have had more than one intake through the accelerator but you've had the first intake and they've been out in the world for a couple of years what is Stockland's goal for that those companies in that relationship what do you want to see bloom
1: I want to see Bloom a prop tech industry based in Australia so I think that we actually have the ability to to be on the front of some of these innovations and to export them globally. And I think that we've got enough enough experimental assets, we've got enough of all the resources we need to come up with some really good ideas that could actually succeed on a global basis. And, uh, and I do think this is a future arm of a Stockland business that would um, be able to promote and support those uh, those fledgling companies as they start off, that we would get benefits, of course, across our assets, but as well we would support that in, in going much bigger scale.
0: Robin Elliott, thank you very much for joining us and This Week in Startups
1: Australia. Thank you, Mark.
0: MYOB saves businesses time, helps improve cash flow, gets invoices paid faster, gives real-time visibility of profit and loss, and makes payroll easy. With MYOB, you can create, send, and track customized invoices. This is awesome because Australian businesses can wait on average 43 days to get paid. With MYOB, your clients can pay you directly from your invoices. People who use the MYOB online invoicing solution get paid four times faster. MYOB software will let you know when you've been paid, then update the accounts. You don't have to lift a finger. MYOB's online solutions make pay runs quick and easy, ensuring all of your tax and super payments are compliant with the Australian tax office. You can save half a day every month on processing employee pay. MYOB's mobile app means you can create a quote on the job, send invoices straight from the app, and even get paid on the same day you invoice. 1.2 million businesses in Australia and New Zealand use MYOB. Startups, sole traders, and small businesses all the way up to companies with hundreds of staff. Whatever your stage or size, MYOB has a solution for you. Twista listeners will get a free 30-day trial and the first 50 people to sign up will also get $100 in cash. Go to myob.com slash Twista for your free trial today. One of the things that became clear within a few years of social media really starting to take off was that there was this very odd disconnect. We were getting to be better connected with people on the other side of the world than people who lived across the street. And that disconnect has a lot of different aspects. One of them is that we actually don't know what superpowers our neighbors have. And when I say that, what I mean is we don't really know the kinds of skills and capacities capacities that they have that we might need in an emergency or just generally. And so we can't go over and ask them for a quick cup of superpower. And they can't ask us because they don't know what superpowers we have. And that keeps our neighborhoods further apart and less well-knit together than they probably could be. But what if we could shine a flashlight on a neighborhood, a flashlight that revealed all the things we wanted to see, but we can't? That's the promise And the premise... Of PropTech startup Neighborlytics. Here to bring us up to speed on all things neighborly is Neighborlytics CEO Jessica Christensen Franks. Jessica, welcome to Twista.
2: Thank you for having me, Mark.
0: All right, so start off what does Neighborlytics do?
2: Yes. So Neighborlytics creates social data for neighborhoods. So we've built a piece of software that aggregates all of the disparate uh, chatter, likes, reviews, feedbacks, check ins that we find across lots of different social media ratings and reviews, websites, whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. And we pull that together to create data about what's going on in local Mm neighbourhoods. So just as individual people have online footprints, you know, we're now closing down our old, you know, uh, social media accounts we're not using anymore, we don't want to be as visible online anymore. But just in the same way, our cities have digital footprints. So parks and artworks and main streets and businesses all have online presences and we're now at a critical mass of using these digital technologies in our lives that there's so much data out there about cities and that's what we do. We turn that into data for property developers, local government, consultants to make better cities.
0: So it's really interesting. I've done a bunch of consulting for some of the local governments, particularly here in the Sydney area. And it is interesting that they know some things about the people who live in their communities, but they don't actually have a depth of that, what does a city do? What does a property developer do when they have that kind of depth? How does that guide them?
2: So, how they make better decisions? Oh gosh, well, unfortunately, there's not a, a large sample size to go on because there's such a history of bad information or bad data or superficial understanding of what's really happening in cities. Um, but but what they can do if they if they have better understanding is first they can better respond to their customers or their citizens, mm-hmm. which is a big thing. You know, there's a lot of consultation fatigue around. Um, big infrastructure projects or big urban renewal projects and we can do a better job at that if we really understand what people value and why they love their own neighbourhoods. But we can also track change over time and I've worked in property development as an urban designer for nearly 20 years and I was frustrated throughout my career at how much we take a static view at cities, yes. so we create a fifty-year master plan yeah. and then we incrementally deliver it. Right. But we don't think about how to iterate cities. Right. We don't think about how to prototype. We don't. Think so we about
0: don't have an agile feedback. city,
2: exactly. If only we could do that, my data <laughs> wouldn't be needed, or maybe everyone would be using our data. But, but that's what the, the city making industry is built around right. building stuff. Right. Um, but but there's so much more that happens in a city once the stuff is built: the personality, the businesses, the economy, all that piece.
0: And this touches on so two pieces of consulting. That I did one was for uh, urban growth, New South Wales, right? When they were looking at all the stuff that's going on on the foreshore because they're doing that mm-hmm. big re- redevelopment. And when I was doing some work with Liverpool, and I mentioned this because in both of these, it was very clear that the, what they were going to need was also to build flexibly, that they were going to have to have spaces that were multi-use and multi-purpose, that could respond relatively quickly to people as their needs changed. And this is the thing: if we're taking that fifty-year master plan. And people's needs change, and they change very quickly these days. You know, we're seeing this move into autonomy and self-driving cars and smart cities. All of this stuff is is changing our our relationship to the landscape. And a city doesn't respond to it. Does that mean that the people who live in that city basically get cranky? Does it mean they move elsewhere? How how does that when that goes wrong? Yes. What happens?
2: Oh gosh. Well, uh, going if, if those people become cranky, that's the best worst outcome, really, <laughs> to, to be frank. <laughs> yeah. Um, but but in my in my previous work before. Before starting Neighbourhoods, I was running a not-for-profit in Melbourne that was going out into communities and working with them to to co-create public spaces or, or you know master plans around their community so they would feel included. And we were working in some of the most difficult and controversial parts of Australia. And you know, some of the problems we were coming across is loneliness is now identified as as likely to t- kill you as smoking and heart disease. You know the irony that we're living closer together than ever, we have more friends on Facebook. Yeah, we're more everybody. connected
0: than ever. Yeah,
2: in in, in quotes, uh, but but we're actually lonelier and. This has significant impacts on our health uh, one in three women in Melbourne don't feel safe in public spaces mm-hmm. after dark you know that there's a lot of that, that sort of talk at the moment um, but I've also worked with a local government in in Victoria in a greenfield a growth area in Victoria and the CEO of that local government has identified that their high rates of domestic violence and they have the highest in Australia uh, is, is caused by their poor quality neighbourhood design. So it's not just about yeah. whether people can get a car park or whether nope. there's public toilets or a nice you know, place to gather to watch the soccer final. Right. It's also having significant impacts on our health, on our mental well-being, and then all of the other yeah. knock-on effects to, to our ec- economy and, and c- keeping jobs and all the rest of it.
0: And so some of that is that the, you know, the cultures in this weird transitional stage we had – sort of very large family units then we went through this period of the nuclear family and we we seem to be coming out of that almost into the atomic family where there's single people and yet that's very bad for all of these mental health reasons it's very bad for people because we're social organisms, right? We thrive when we find our ways to bring out the best in ourselves and the best in one another. Mm-hmm. So how does neighborlytics then help bring out the best in a city or in a neighbourhood?
2: Yes. Well, it's it's a really interesting time to be thinking about this sort of local data uh, right now, not only because there's now a lot of it and we can really use it to understand cities, but also because we're, we're now moving into a different type of consuming behaviours or different types of economy where previously we earned social status from having Calvin Klein underwear and, you know, having a nice car. And these days, and it's blamed on millennials, but it's actually across different generations. We blame
0: everything on millennials. Yeah. It's, it's hey, okay. Well, millennial. They're, They're just getting just used to it. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but um, but we're, we're now living in, what, in what's called sort of the post-consumer economy yeah. or, the, or the experience economy. The experience
0: economy, economy and absolutely. flippantly
2: said, oh, well, we're all photographing our avocado on toast and our eggs. But it means that people are gaining social value or feeling connected to their cities or their social networks through the experiences that they share. Yeah. And so we're Previously, city planners, when they were looking at how to understand a main street or understand a city and its performance, they were counting up areas of floor space and looking at how much, right. uh, how many businesses were opened and you know and, and how, how big the apartments were and what kind of appliances are in the apartments. They're the specs that we tend to talk about when right. it comes to cities, maybe some Because they're big
0: stuff. and solid and slow. And You can
2: count them and it's easy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but now that we're in this experience economy, people are less interested in whether the apartment they're buying has has high-end appliances and more interested in the neighbourhood. <laughs> That yes. it's and yeah. so have got to Does it have a good cafe that? downstairs? Exactly. Is, is there great, you know, community yoga in the yeah, park? You yeah. know, what are, what, what's the personality of that place? Yeah. And so it's a really interesting time because that's part of the hyper-local movement as well, where we see people consuming in, a, in an authentic grassroots bottom-up way.
0: And you can certainly see there's a generation of people, although I'm not officially a millennial, I behave in a lot of ways <laughs> like a millennial, um, who opt to live differently because of this. I live in Chippendale, in the inner city, because I live across the street from a great pool and a great park that I can run in and exercise. And I don't need a car and I don't own a car because I have great public transport links. And all of that stuff sort of constellates around, that's my urban experience. That's what I want out of a city. And the city has listened at least enough to be able to bring these things. Now, Jess Scully, who's one of the councillors yes. here. And a, and, of mine. and a friend And a friend of both of ours, <laughs> takes to social media in order to find that connection that she's not getting when she's having her yes. monthly meetings where the irate, the few irate people are coming in to complain about X, Y, and Z, do we see a new role for social media that's different than just the angry sphere where everyone's screaming at everyone else or the show-off sphere, look at my beautiful life, but is this neighborhood-a-sphere?
2: <laughs> I like it. I, I think the the biggest... Uh, myth we've busted since starting Neighborlytics and, and what we what we thought we could do with the data is we thought we would be creating a sentiment analysis tool to mm. trawl through what people are saying about places and then look at whether it was positive or negative. And the reality is, although there's this perception that we get on Twitter and we just slate each other, which, you know, of course that happens. There is well. some of that <laughs> on Twitter, yes. <laughs> Definitely there's a lot of that stuff happening online. <laughs> but, but what we've found is the vast majority of the things that we find are just people talking about their lives and it doesn't even have a positive or negative connotation to it. It's just the narration of I did this, I ate that, I went there, I saw this and mm-hmm. I was with these people. And and for us that's opened up a type of analysis where we're looking at what, what has prompted people to post in that way. We see particular themes in different neighbourhoods around certain things yep. and the way they talk about that and what we're finding more and more that that has a direct correlation to place pride. So people don't post photos of themselves dropping off their dry cleaning. They usually <laughs> don't talk about the, the fact that they went to the supermarket it, but right. they talk about the wine bar with the zumba class, or the right. you know the dog with the with a jacket in the park, or yeah. the street art, or yeah. no, or like the
0: that. beautiful pool that I swim yes, in. Yes, exactly, because you're proud of it. Yeah, and, absolutely. And you, want, you
2: want your network to know that yeah. you went there and yeah. that that's part of your identity. Yeah.
0: Okay. That's the big picture. Now let's dive down into the business. So, what is the model for your business? Is this a software as a service model, or how does how does it work exactly?
2: No, we played we played with software as a service to start with, um, but we're really working. You know, we're talking about prop tech a lot these days and mm. I've been part of the smart cities movement for mm. a while and one of the biggest challenges with our business model is that our clients aren't aren't necessarily ready to use data uh, they, they want to see insights they want analyst reports but they're not necessarily ready to use data
0: so this is interesting let's just stop here for a second because this is a really interesting point because I think what you're saying is something that's actually more broadly true they really do want things boiled down because they haven't got the native competency mm-hmm. yet to boil it themselves
2: yes okay and also because the data we are t- providing is replacing user feedback and mm. we believe behaviour data in in some contexts is more powerful than user feedback because you get a feedback bias with why people are yeah. providing feedback and oh, particip- yeah. all sorts of biases. Because they're cranky. It's, yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. You know, if you've just stood in the rain tra- waiting to catch a tram that morning, you're going to give your feedback about the tram service that day, you know. Yeah. but so, so because we're replacing that real direct feedback or focus group things... Um, our, our customers are used to consuming data as a, as, a, as a set of bullet point recommendations rather than actually exploring the data themselves. So our product at the moment is it's a it's a data product served online, mm. um, but our clients purchase it project by project. Okay. So for example, we're working with Stockland, uh, you a know, major property player across Australia who are a r- real champion in the prop tech space. Uh, and we're working across many different types of their projects, be it retail, new communities, apartments.
0: And you're helping them understand the communities that they're in better than they do now so that they make better design and planning decisions
2: yeah th- there are many different levels that our data can help an organization like that one of the biggest ones is that they're, they're out to create a community community legacy right. so they recognize that they're not just in to 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 build something and leave that they need want to be responsible for managing it over a long period of time regardless of what type of asset it is and they're committed to livability in cities and mm-hmm. that's something that they have championed for a long time mm-hmm. and led research into that as well um, but they also recognize that they traditional data sets, be it um, census demographic data or surveys can be expensive and time-consuming yeah. and that if they're really going to respond to the cities that they're creating or the urban areas that they're creating, they need more real-time insight into what's happening and that's why they're looking for other kinds of technology to help that help solve that problem.
0: So it seems as though you've, I won't say stumbled, you've architected a very interesting business model, which is that you can effectively take all of the sharing that everyone is doing about everything and use that very broad sharing to develop some very specific insights. That's got to have more utility than just in Proctet, than just in this specific case.
2: Yes, but the rule is focus, focus, focus. Right? Absolutely.
0: Oh, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not asking you to defocus. It wasn't a trick question. It just, sure. when I when I see an entrepreneur has, has come up with something that looks like it's a very clever model, yes. there are other ways you could use that we model. We are
2: very excited about the other things we can be Doing with right. this data and in fact some of our customers are from other other verticals uh, and have just been using the data anyway even though it's optimized for town planning at the moment a political that's a really interesting one uh, elections yeah. and understanding catchments yeah. uh, or even just retailers wanting to know where to put their shops that's quite different from the strategic yeah. application our clients now, although typically starbucks
0: have. is notorious for do- doing very deep dives into data and presumably as amazon gears up their bricks and mortar business which they're doing now they'll also do the same thing all right have you been able to just self fund out of these contracts, or do you have investment?
2: We received pre seed investment through Blue Chili as part of their She Starts program about 18 months ah, ago. You're one
0: of the She Starts graduates. I am, yes. Ah, brilliant. I've got one. <laughs> brilliant. Excellent. <laughs> Um, okay. Okay. Good. So, you, so there was a little bit of investment to get yes. you started, but after that, you've been able to sort of yes. build build the company. That's right. On customers. Oh, on our
2: customers. On That's customer. right. So, I'm not saying that means we've got a bank full of cash, but but absolutely, we've we've had we've been blown away by the amount of customer support that we've had, and we've had a huge section of of the market, even local government, who we thought would want to see a lot of precedent and a lot of traction before they signed up. Um, we could see that, that you know we've had a lot of people just picking up the phone and wanting. To give it a go, um, and our data is very low cost compared to the other other options out there of getting a consultant to stand on the footpath with a clipboard is very expensive. Whereas our data reports are much cheaper than that, so we've been very lucky with a lot of early customers. But you know, we're just trying to keep up with demand at the moment.
0: How big is this market, both in Australia for you, and then maybe globally?
2: Yeah, that's a it's a really good question. Uh, the, the property sector is, is Australia's largest industry. You know and I think and, that's
0: pretty much true in every country you look
2: at yes that's right and so and there's a lot of pressure on the Australian property industry to keep growing mm-hmm. and so a lot yeah. a couple of years ago there was um the changes to the foreign investor laws here so a property developers now selling to a local buyer where previously they weren't necessarily targeting them um so how big is the market look it's it's hard to put a number on it there's the community engagement side of the market which mm. often it can be up to sort of five to ten percent of of our property budgets get spent on that customer engagement community engagement which can be many many millions per project Um, and they're spending a lot of time and taking on a lot of risk by doing that in a superficial way Um, but then there's also a benchmarking or a a, um, tracking over time application of our data uh, which we're looking at as a way of um, saying we want to set an Australian average or set a global average like the Green Building Council have done with environmental performance and that's a much bigger market itself.
0: Jessica, thank you for joining us on This Week in Startups Australia.
2: Thanks for having me.
0: The University of Technology Sydney recognizes the incredible potential of the next generation of Australian startup founders. UTS believes entrepreneurship is about doing, inspiring students to take that first step on their founder journey, then encouraging them to keep going. UTS Startups supports student founders from ideation stage to launch with one-on-one mentorship and guidance to support them from across the entire startup ecosystem. This new UTS startup model focuses on connecting each founder with what they need, when they need it, as well as forging connections between members of the UTS startups community. Go see their vibrant collaboration space on Harris Street in Ultimo or visit startups.uts.edu.au to find out more. We launched a new segment for Series 6 of This Week in Startups Australia, asking all of the many incubator and accelerator programs running across the country to spruik their programs to twist listeners in their own words. This week we'll hear from Sebastian Eckersley-Maslin launching the PropTech Accelerator at Blue Chili. Take it away Seb! Hello, my name's Sebastian Eckersley-Maslin and I am the founder and CEO of
3: Blue Chili. Blue Chili is Australia's largest accelerator program, but we're an accelerator program with a bit of a difference. And that difference is, we don't actually like calling ourselves an accelerator program, because we believe we offer a lot more and a lot different value to entrepreneurs. If you look at the reasons why startups fail, if I can draw us into the negative for a second. Startups fail because they run out of money, they fail to build their first product, the product they do build, they fail to get any sort of traction or sell it. And they fail to be able to find the right people to join them on their journey. There's a fifth reason they fail, which is they get the timing wrong, but timing is an uncontrolled variable. So I'm just gonna sit that aside for a second. And let's look at those four reasons why startups fail. They fail because of the, of the technology, because they don't get traction, because they run out of money or tender, so I can keep my alliteration going. Uh, and they fail because they get the wrong team. So what we do at Blue Chili is we help domain expert entrepreneurs build their first product to take it to market so they get their first customer, so they can raise their first amount of capital, so they can hire their first team member. So we are zero to one, if you like, across those four key categories, which is the technology, the traction, uh, tender or money, uh, and the team. And so our program is more of a venture studio than it is an accelerator. Um, The problem with the Venture Studio model is that not many people are really familiar with that, which is why we use the term accelerator. So Blue Chili in a nutshell, we operate uh, programs uh, with corporate partners who are helping entrepreneurs solve for that traction piece. And we've currently got a program open right now with Stockland, the large property and community development group, Stockland. Stockland take a generational view to building communities, they build 50,000 houses and they take. 10, 20, 30, 40 year horizons to building these communities. And they are looking for technologies and startups and ideas that can support their vision of being one of the world's most connected community of the future. And so what we do with Stockland is we provide an accelerator program to identify ideas from all sorts of backgrounds of people or, or whatever, where people have, have a understanding of How their concept or how the problem that they're in that industry could be solved. And what we want to do is help them connect with, in this case, Stockland, to be able to build some technology to enable that idea to be tested and validated using the community and the resources available that Stockland provides. If those ideas are successful, we then invest alongside other investors and we have capacity to put in up to half a million dollars into the successful companies, which can then be used to hire the first. Um, uh, people into those startups so the way a program works we have an application process that's available right now and it's uh, online at stocklandaccelerator.com but assuming you hear this podcast after the date go to bluechili.com to hear any of the uh, the upcoming ones or the live ones we have we then run a, a campaign where we get a few hundred ideas, close to a thousand, uh, and from that we're selecting the top 40 to 50 ideas uh, that we invite to participate in an obligation free boot camp. During that boot camp, we're going to connect you with people from Stockland and we're going to work together to validate to see if there's a need for this idea. And if there is, and if you're successful from that boot camp, you're then invited to pitch to a panel of judges. And from that point, we're gonna pick the top 10 to 15 ideas which receive early investment and more importantly, a full engineering team at no cost to you. uh, Once you hit that point there, we then invite you into the accelerator, which is a six to nine month program. On the back of that accelerator, we then support you in raising capital. The terms of the program, in exchange for providing you with a product and engineering team at no cost uh, for the full 12 weeks of the program, plus uh, mentoring and advisory and accelerated learning development, plus $38,000 in cash to get you through those first couple of months, uh, we receive 15% of ordinary equity. So it's probably the cheapest tech co-founder you're ever going to find out there. And that is the Blue Chili Model, and applications are open right now.
0: When it comes to email marketing, there's so much more that goes into creating smart and effective campaigns than what meets the eye. That's why Campaign Monitor created an easy-to-use email marketing platform, complete with simple drag-and-drop email editor and award-winning 24-7 customer service. Campaign Monitor gives you everything you need to run beautifully designed, professional email marketing campaigns to grow your business. With their gallery of beautiful, professionally designed email templates, all of which look amazing on every device, you're bound to find something that will make your brand pop. And since Campaign Monitor uses detailed lists and smart segments, your messages instantly drive more engagement. No wonder it's used by more than 250,000 businesses worldwide, and it's rated highest in customer satisfaction among major email marketing software vendors. To start building smart and beautiful email newsletters today, try Campaign Monitor for free at campaignmonitor.com slash twist. Listeners who sign up and become a customer will receive a free t-shirt. Again, that's campaignmonitor.com slash twist. Interests of full disclosure, I should let my listeners know that I am going to be a mentor in the Stockland PropTech Accelerator. It's an unpaid role, so I don't have a financial involvement. But I was asked, and I agreed because I think PropTech is exciting. But more than exciting, I think PropTech is important. As Robin said, it's about where we live. It's about our communities. It's about making communities better. It's about making shops better. It's about making the retail experience better, but it's about making all of these aspects of our lives better. And in some ways, although that sounds kind of, I guess, almost hokey and old fashioned, it's important because it doesn't get more real than that. It doesn't get more real than the home that you live in and how you feel about that home and that community that you are part of. And I can only hope that being a mentor, I can help those companies do it well. Big thanks to Twista sponsors MYOB, UTS, and Campaign Monitor. Their support makes our podcast possible. Thanks to Robin Elliott, Jessica Christensen-Franks, and Sebastian Eckersley-Maslin for joining us on this episode. We've rebuilt and relaunched our website at TWISTartupsAUS.com. It's got everything. It's got all the shows, all the interviews, all the photos, all the links to all the stories. So check it out at TWISTartupsAUS.com. We'll be back soon with more great stories from the heart of Australia's startup community. Until then, this is Mark Pesci thanking you for listening to This Week in Startups Australia.